Can polygamy be practiced righteously? We're going to talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? I spoke with a plural wife from the Harmston Polygamy Group. It was been a few years ago. And she had had extremely negative experiences uh, in her polygamy marriages, and she was on the verge of getting out. I asked her if she was aware that in the Bible, God never commanded polygamy. In fact, every incident of the polygamy in the Bible is, in the Old Testament especially, is negative. Hmm. And she replied that all polygamy is evil unless it's practiced righteously. In response, I asked her how something that God had forbidden could ever be lived righteously. And she did not have an answer. She was stumped. Because there are instances of polygamy in the Bible, and some of those polygamists were men that God used in fantastic ways, polygamists wrongly assume that God was okay with polygamy. But as we always point out, we all sin in various ways, yet God calls us to come to him and he will forgive us. God bless some of those Old Testament polygamists and those who turn from their sin and live to please God were forgiven. We have a quote. Right, from 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That repentance is sorry that you sinned against God, not sorry you got caught. (laughs) There's a big difference. But notice that this repentance leads to salvation. It is not polygamy that leads to salvation, but it must be biblical repentance. Both Abraham and David put away their concubines and lived with only one wife after that. And Psalm 51, if you ever want to go there, is a great prayer of confession and repentance and reflects David's prayer when he was seeking God's forgiveness after his affair with Bathsheba. But there are many in the Mormon faith who are so confident in their own personal righteousness that they claim they don't even sin. They will admit that, well, once in a while, maybe they may commit a transgression, but they're not sinners. Everyone who makes that claim is calling God a liar and is placing themselves above the need of God's grace. Now we read this in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there you have yeah, it, claiming, well. <laughs> claiming you don't have sin is calling God a liar and, and is deceitful. Notice that we can need to confess our sins, but it's not to a human, it's to God that we do that confession. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament testify that we are all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Mormonism has redefined almost every important biblical precept and ends up changing God's personal testimony about himself and about us. Notice the treatment of sin by an LDS member. Yeah, an apostle. John Whitsow, Evidences and Reconciliations, he says, Indeed, in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no original sin. Yeah, isn't that a shocker? Doesn't sound biblical, <laughs> does it? <laughs> Not at all. But there is original sin. And you can read all about the events in Genesis chapter 3, which brought sin into God's perfect world. It is our sin <clears throat> that brought Jesus' death on the cross. 
but not according to Mormonism. We quote. Yeah, and this is from Joseph Fielding Smith's answer to gospel questions. <clears throat> Adam and Eve rejoiced in the fall. Before partaking of the fruit, Adam could have lived forever. When he ate, he became subject to death, and therefore he became mortal. This was a transgression of the law, but not a sin in the strict sense, for it was something that Adam and Eve had to do. I am sure that neither Adam or Eve looked upon it as a sin when they learned the consequences, and this is discovered in their words after they, after they learned the consequences. Interesting twist. <laughs> a, and it definitely is a twist at that. And it says, the fall of Adam and Eve was not a sin, but an essential act upon which mortality depends. And of course, we know that Mormonism teaches that it was a good thing. The yeah. fall was a good thing. They had to do it. They fell upwards. Right, um, fell upwards. I've the, heard that. Yeah, and it's just... <laughs> It, totally opposite of what the Bible teaches and cannot be true. It contradicts all of scriptures. And in fact, if it were true, why did Mormons claim polygamy was so important to help them be righteous? Hmm. If our original parents didn't sin, then we don't need a savior. So polygamists don't need polygamy to save them. All the preaching of obedience to laws and ordinances, including polygamy, of overcoming and enduring to the end is merely Mormonism's way of teaching that your own personal self-righteousness will buy you a ticket into exaltation in their highest degree of glory, but it's all a myth. Polygamists, of course, teach that polygamy is one of their requirements to worthiness and perfection, and Joseph Smith taught his plural wives that being married to him would ensure the salvation of herself, her family, and all of her relatives. If polygamy could actually do all that, then Jesus Christ died on the cross in vain. We would have no need for Jesus at all. Polygamy could do for us what Jesus came to do and did do. Notice their teaching of exclusivity and obedience. Yeah, this is from the Doctrines of the Gospel, a teacher's manual. By virtue of our membership in the Church of Jesus Christ, we stand in a position through our obedience to receive eternal life, the Father's greatest gift. Okay, now notice that they've said that eternal life is the Father's gift. Right. But you have to earn it through obedience. Yeah. Membership in their, in their religion plus obedience equals eternal life. Since when did Jesus resign from his position as Savior? Is Mormonism the Savior? Is your obedience your Savior? Notice that they said eternal life is the Father's greatest gift. How can something you earn be considered a gift? This next scripture, scripture is very, very important, so please listen carefully. <laughs> From Romans 4, 5 through 8. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin are covered. sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And from Romans 11:6, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you can't so have simple. it both ways. Right. It is very simple. And yeah. it's, it's absolutely lovely. It's, it's simple the way that God yeah, put it together for us humans. We cannot add anything to God's gospel of Jesus Christ alone for eternal life because it then becomes a non-gospel and, of course, is no gospel at all. Yeah. 
Polygamy is a law that they claim will cause a person to become righteous and must be obeyed in order to gain eternal life. Mormon president and polygamist John Taylor said this. Yeah, from the Journal of Discourses. <clears throat> Where did this commandment come from in relation to polygamy? It also came from God. It was a revelation given unto Joseph Smith from God and was made binding upon his servants. So if that were true, the LDS is in, in bad shape because they give up polygamy. Yes, but, they but, did. But then, of course, if that were true, then Jesus didn't need to come and die on the cross. That's true, too. Polygamists have always claimed, and they still do, that living this plural lifestyle makes a person more Christ-likes and helps them in, to become righteous people. Orson Pratt taught that God gives plural wives and many children to men if they can earn their own personal righteousness, we quote. Yeah, this is taken from the seer. If the people of Utah have no prophet, then they are not the people of God, but are deceived like all the rest of Christendom who are without prophets. In the latter case, we would not be worthy of even one wife, much less a plurality, a people who have no prophets or inspired men among them never were worthy of wives or children in any, in any age of the world. Hence, if the people of Utah cannot inquire of God and receive revelations from him, they are no more entitled to wives and children than apostate Christendom are. The righteousness or unrighteousness of having a plurality of wives or even one wife all hangs upon the simple question— whether the people who presume to marry are or are not the people of God. If they are not, they have no divine right to even one wife. If they are his people, he has undoubted right to show through his prophet how many wives, if any, each may have. <laughs> Interesting comment. <laughs> yeah, it is very to interesting. Think about that one. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's <laughs> something else. But anyway, of course, Orson Pratt. If you read very many of his things, he makes too many yeah, assumptions, assumptions that are based on other incorrect assumptions. Godly righteousness does not earn a man plural wives and doesn't make a man or a woman righteous by God's standards. In fact, when people trust in their own righteousness by doing the things their religion claims they must do that makes a person worthy of blessings and exaltation, all those works in reality are sin in the eyes of God. But we'll let God testify to you about that. Yeah, a couple of quotes from Isaiah chapter 64 and 57. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we, do, we all do fade as a leaf, <clears throat> and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. That's wow. very clear. You it don't is. get more clear than that. And the only righteousness that pleases God and saves human is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Please read and study a couple of verses from Romans and a couple of other, other verses from Romans very carefully in 30. It, it's your eternal life that's at stake. Yeah, this is from Romans 9, 30 through 32. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it, 
but as if it were based on works. Now, there you have it again. I know, just they've, over and over. Yeah, yeah, they've replaced works and faith with grace and yeah. faith. Yeah. And, that, and, and the verses that we're reading in Romans and Isaiah and other places are, uh, are very simply put so that it's easy to understand. Yeah, it, it wasn't anything I understood. However, as a Latter Day Saint, I just yeah. felt well. We were never taught work. it. No, it's not, we, it's not that we couldn't understand it. We never did teach. We were never taught it. Never exposed to it. And, and I want to make a, a mention right here about those Isaiah verses that you just read. Um, usually, when we quote Bible verses, they will say, "Well, you can't trust the Bible; it's not translated correctly." Blah blah. But Isaiah, the Isaiah scrolls were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they yeah. were compared. The the uh, and, and, almost and they identical, they were all the only differences were like punctuation or words that had no made no difference on the meaning or the doctrine in yeah. the Book of Isaiah. So we can trust Isaiah. Yeah, so, and, and that was the thing about the. Church is always saying that not translated correctly, or that the, the Catholic priests or whatever right. mis mistranslated them, or plugged in things, or took things out. Mm -hmm. and it's just not. It proven doesn't prove true them to be the true. Dead sea uh -uh. Scrolls, and yeah. the Dead Sea Scrolls certainly proves that, especially in the Book of Isaiah. But but so so the, notice that in Romans it said that they missed the boat because they were pursuing righteousness by works and and that will never succeed. But how could works be sinful? You know, people ask that question. It is a valid question. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But it's because you're trusting in yourself. You're making yourself your own savior instead of trusting Jesus Christ alone and the works that he has done for us. That's the sin. It's who you're trusting. Yeah. Doing good things, helping people, and being kind and generous, and uh, in and of itself is not sinful. But doing these things to earn eternal life or to earn favor uh, and merit with God is the sin. And Isaiah and other passages condemn it. Mm -hmm. And besides that, they have made God's command forbidding adultery into a requirement to get to heaven, and that's not good. There's a long but very descriptive passage in Ezekiel that explains these things, and we're going to go yeah, through them. Ezekiel 33, verses 12 through 20, eventually. Therefore, son of man, say to your countrymen, the righteousness of the righteous man will not save him when he disobeys, and the wickedness of the wicked man will not cause him to fall when he turns from it. The righteous man, if he sins, will not be allowed to live because of his former righteousness. If I tell the righteous man that he will surely live, but then he trusts in his righteousness and does evil, none of the righteous things he has done will be remembered. He will die for the evil he has done. Whoa. Yeah. That pretty explains it. it. And that's the Old Testament. <laughs> that's yeah? right. Notice how ineffective righteousness is when the person fails. And who doesn't fail? Yeah. His former righteousness does not help him one single bit, and we have all failed. We continue on with Ezekiel. Yeah. And if I say to the wicked man, you will surely die, but he then turns away from his sin and does what is just and right, if he gives back what he took in pledge for a loan, returns what he has stolen, follows the decrees that give life, and does no evil, he will surely live. He will not die. None of the sins he has committed will be remembered against him. 
If he, he has done what is just and right, he will surely live. Yet your countrymen say, the way of the Lord is not just, but it is their way that is not just. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, he will die for it. And if a wicked man turns away from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live by doing so. Yet, O house of Israel, you say, the way of the Lord is not just, but I will judge each of you according to his own ways. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> so your, your self-righteousness makes no merit with God whatsoever, ever. God's way is grace alone. The only other way is works which will always fail, but grace cannot fail. LDS claim that the way of grace alone is not just, but grace alone is the way of the Lord. And it is just because Jesus made it just by justifying the ungodly through his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. When God says that he will judge each of us according to our ways, he is not saying we're saved by works, but that he judges us by what we do or don't do. Recently, a former polygamy group member who now trusts the LDS church said he can't go to Bible study because it teaches things against his beliefs. <laughs> and the teacher won't listen to other truths, but is closed minded. But there are no other truths. I don't have a truth and you have a valid truth and someone else has a valid truth yeah, as well. That's not the way it works. Truth. Jesus Christ is narrow-minded. He taught there is only one <laughs> way and there's only one truth. And in John 14, 6, Jesus identifies himself as the truth incarnate. So let's read based on that. Matthew from yeah. Matthew and Luke. Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the great gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many in many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves and from luke it says someone asked him lord are only a few people going to be saved and he said to them Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open up the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. So is there anything in those verses that requires polygamy on the way to eternal life or the way to become righteous? That God will keep the door open for the polygamists? Sure isn't there. We suggest that anyone who refuses to listen to biblical truth is actually the one who is closed-minded. There's only one truth, and there's only one way. And Jesus said, few there be that find it. It's narrow. He is narrow-minded. The way to heaven is a narrow way. We read a passage from Romans, and we ask you to keep your ears open to catch where polygamy is part of becoming righteous. <laughs> Romans chapter 10, 2 through 4. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do, did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, it didn't say righteousness for everyone who practices plural marriage, yeah. right? Right. 
um, or who is a member of some Mormon particular church or group. Yeah. Group, yeah. yeah. Christ is the end of the law. There's, there's, it's not law that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. It's not obedience to law or plural marriage. It's Jesus who saves us. Most Mormons and Mormon polygamists are zealous to do. I, I, they, they, they get five stars for their zealousness. For their work. To do what their leader teaches them that God requires them to do. And the people will listen to their leader, seldom questioning what they say, but they ignore what God has said about it. They do not know the righteousness that comes from God, and they try instead to establish their own righteousness without submitting to God's. Christ's righteousness is all we need, and it is the only effective and powerful righteousness. Polygamy does not produce righteousness or Christ-likeness, and they teach that laws and ordinances must be honored in order to please God. Please pay attention to this. Yeah, these are some of my favorite scriptures here from Colossians yeah. 2, 13 through 17. Having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now notice that <laughs> sins and ordinances no. were nailed to the cross with Jesus. In Christ, there is no law, no ritual, no ordinance in existence that can keep you from his gift of salvation and eternal life. Polygamy is not the answer, and neither is Mormonism. Neither is law or rituals or ordinances or temples or marriage. The answer to everything is Jesus. The answer in everything is Jesus Christ. Now, I know that, that, that in the LDS church, you know this because you were a member, and polygamy groups as well equally depend upon ordinances and oh. endowments and rituals, yeah. and you have to do all these things yeah. before the, you can be even considered to be worthy to go to heaven. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, temples. Very and important. Paying, and then you have to be worthy to go to the temple, mm -hmm. which means you're paying your tithing mm -hmm. and doing callings and Keep the Sabbath day holy and uh, yeah. all these and different yet, things. Colossians says none of that means anything now. It's all in uh, Christ. Yeah. It's all in Jesus. All of it was nailed to the cross with our sins. Yeah, and there's a certain level of pride, though, when you in when you doing get it, good when, things. Yeah, and when you uh, know the words in the temple, you know, uh, mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of memorization that's required. to, And when you finally get to that point where you've memorized things, there's a real pride there because mm -hmm. you know you're going to be able to Pass by the angels right and go to, to heaven. Go to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna make it. But it's not in that either. It's not in rituals. No. It's not in words. It's not in saying it the proper way. It's Jesus. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Yeah. Finally, we received one of many, many emails from this person who takes offense as we challenge Joseph Smith's doctrines and the early Mormon prophets. And we want to share his latest threat, just for the sake of interest, and also to show you what some people's thinking is of the things we do. <laughs> Obviously, he was bothered by one of our programs. I'm not sure which one it was, but yeah. this is what he wrote. Yeah. Oh, you Jewish Roman soldiers, 
How dare you attack the holy prophets, apostles, and disciples of the true church of the house of Israel, the church of the living God, your loving Savior. Living, living Savior. I'm sorry, your living <laughs> Savior, who gave his life for your dark, evil, damned, and hellish souls. There you go. Yeah. That's his description of our work here, Jewish Earl. Jewish Roman soldier. Pretty now, good. <laughs> we do dare... Um, say that he has some extreme confusion calling us Jewish Roman soldiers. Yeah. And we do dare to attack false doctrines and are committed to obey God as he instructed us in the following passage. From Jude, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were de designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So contending for the faith, yeah. as given in the Bible, is what we are supposed to do. Certain people have crept in and changed the true gospel message. They perverted it and called it Mormonism. It's our responsibility to contend for the true faith. And God says there's only one faith, there's only one Lord, there's only one God, and we contend for the truth of what God has said. And notice that statement in the scripture we just read that the, go that the gospel was delivered once for all. Yeah. Once for all. No need to restore what God intended to be given once for all, all time, all people, all everything. God is not inadequate or clumsy or inept. He is able to keep his promises and to keep without corruption the beauty and the truth of his word. So many folks from the Mormon faith choose to believe what man has said and what they write while claiming that God was unable to preserve what he said. They believe the testimony of men and reject the testimony of God. How sad, how terribly sad that is. That's a good point, though, about the restoration. There wasn't a need for a restoration if he, he gave us the gospel. There, there's <laughs> lots of proofs in the Bible yeah. that there was no need for a restoration, I, and that's another good one, isn't good, it? Yeah. yeah. So, can polygamy make us righteous? No, nothing can but Jesus. That's right. Jesus alone. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Earl. You betcha. Appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, being faithful and obedience to laws and ordinances brings blessing, they say. But someone else noted that blessing isn't the reward for obedience or faithfulness. It is the fuel for obedience and faithfulness. For instance, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God blessed Adam and Eve before he told them to do anything. Blessing came first and then instructions. We need God's blessings before we undertake to do His will. We cannot earn God's love. We cannot earn God's grace. We cannot earn God's gift of eternal life. Jesus came to take the burden off of us who have been loaded down with religious commandments and works and threats. God counts our faith, not our works, as righteousness. Just trust Jesus alone, not your works and not your ordinances. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. 
Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.